Hi, friends. Welcome to Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff, the podcast where friends get together and talk about the stuff that they like to watch together. My name's Steve Selnick, and joining me, as always, I really wanted to make a joke about good head versus bad head, but I'm just going to go ahead and resist that temptation. It's Charlie Peppers. How you doing, Charlie? I'm doing well, my dude. We're digging into Harvey Dent. I'm excited. Our favorite corrupt D... Well, corrupt? I don't know if corrupt's the right word, but it's our favorite district attorney, if we could ever like district attorneys. But not only are we diving into our first two-parter in Batman the Animated Series, we have the honor and the pleasure of welcoming our first guest onto Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff. We have Joe Russo in the building. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff. How are you today? I am well. Thanks for having me, guys. It is our pleasure. So before we get going, I would love, Joe, for you to tell the audience about who you are and what you do and why you like to watch a cartoon Batman like we do. (laughs) Well, you know, starting with who I am, I guess, first, uh, I am a writer, a director, a producer, a a recently retired podcaster, (laughs) and and you've, you've gotten me back. You know, I've known Charlie for a long time, long, long time. So I'm very happy to be invited on your guys' show. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be your maiden voyage guest. And uh, yeah, Batman has always been a part of my life ever since, you know, I was a little kid watching the Adam West show when the very dark 1989 movie came out that my parents wouldn't let me see. It was my mission to try to see it. And obviously... Batman the Animated Show is is such a fired spinoff of those first two Tim Burton Batman movies that, of course, I consumed it, uh, every morsel of it, as a, as a youngster. So it's fun to dive back in and, and check out a couple old episodes with you guys. We're stoked to have you here to do it. Uh, yeah, this is definitely kind of like your your backdoor sneaky way of, of getting that grittier Batman content without the, the parents necessarily understanding that it's more than just a cartoon. But yeah, let's talk about how you and Charlie know each other. I know that there's some history there, and I, I always love to hear about how, how friends connect and meet. So Charlie, why don't you go first? How did you first connect with Joe? Oh my God. So I've known Joe since 2014. I believe 2014 or 2015. So that would make next year either our ninth or 10th year of knowing each other in this space. I was fresh out of grad school and I got an internship at a production company called Level One Entertainment. And the first person that I ran into, the person who hired me for the internship, Joe, I saw in the elevator coming up and Joe was just so friendly and warm. He was like, hello. And I immediately thought, okay, I feel comfortable here. This seems like a cool dude. And I go in and there's an X-Men movie poster in the lobby. I don't know if I hit it well, but I was inside like, oh my God, they're connected to the first X-Men movie, which is such a staple of my childhood. And also just seeing that poster and also being involved in being able to read scripts and do script coverage really opened up a different side of the industry to me in terms of what makes the rhythm of a script good versus what brings down the rhythm of a script. So I think a lot of the story sense that I got was from being on Joe's desk and from having him as a mentor and now a friend and he's being really humble about just being a filmmaker he is a very talented filmmaker everybody check out his work check out his ig also check out his sick burns on twitter 
don't want to miss out on those. But yeah, I'm so happy to have him here because he's not only a huge Batman fan, he is such a fan of the comic book medium and what it's able to do with characters and stories in a way that I think not everybody is tapped into because something that Joe and I have in common is that these stories helped raise us and they also helped us develop an intuitive grasp of what makes characters and stories click in a particular way so so happy to have you here joe no thank you and that's 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 all of that stuff's very sweet you know it was i was really lucky when i was uh, kind of running the internship program at level one because we had a lot of really great young people come through that program and honestly they're all doing really well i feel like some of them are doing better than me now like charlie uh, <laughs> and you know but like i mean we've we've had you know interns go on to be agents and and studio executives and development execs for producers and big casting people and and charlie's now a, a you know probably soon to be emmy nominated writer you know like <laughs> it's it's been fun to really watch all of them kind of grow and and you know I, I i take a little pride in that you know uh, that, that I, I gave them an, an initial push you know but uh, they they did all the hard part so you know it's just fun for me but yeah no i think i think charlie's right like it was really apparent early on two things one that charlie's coverage stood head you know and shoulders above uh, everybody else's because he is a good writer and and so when he finally did say Hey, will you read my screenplay? It was it was an easy yes because I knew it was going to be very readable. Uh, <laughs> and I think the the other part of that is you know we did bond over our love of comic books. Like we talked about them endlessly during those that time when he was in the internship program. We probably spent more time we should have been working talking about comic books. So it's fun to be back and it's fun to do that again. And, and I'm I'm really happy to be here. So I just want to say hot take i haven't seen this episode obviously in decades you know these these this two-parter two-face episode and i'm just gonna say it now because i think it could really anchor our conversation i think this is a better adaptation of two-face than the dark knight interesting Woo! okay all right i so, uh, yes Okay. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, and let's go. It's I'm gonna smoke the shit out of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely gonna smoke that as well. It's yes, and it's definitely a better interpretation than Batman Forever. I will definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, that, yeah, that's that's. That, I mean, Tommy Lee. Okay, uh, are we just gonna do this now? We're just gonna get. Let's just do it right now. Let's, let's just, just do, do it right, right now. Let's do it right now. <laughs> Batman Forever is so much Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones doing a riff on. Jack Nicholson's The Joker that, you know, it's like, look, I love Batman Forever. It's super fun. It's such an important part of my childhood. I certainly recognize the fall off between Batman and Batman Returns and Batman Forever in terms of overall quality. And I do think mm -hmm. part of that is because they they didn't have the depth that the villains had in the first couple movies. Uh, they were They were very just surface over the top, which, you know, obviously even continued into the fourth movie in that run and the less said about that one the better wait <laughs> wait wait joe the fourth batman movie was over the top what what <laughs> less said about batman and robin the better charlie <laughs> uh, but i do think batman forever has its charms but yeah i mean it doesn't really 
feel like Two-Face. It feels like Tommy Lee Jones is just doing a riff on Jack Nicholson's The Joker and not really bringing any of the the pathos that that character should have had, you know? It's really kind of a shame that uh, we never got to see Billy Billy D. William run as Harvey Dent, you know, because he gets that very kind of brief moments in the initial 1989 Batman. Um, And I almost feel like visually the animated series kind of takes its cue from the look of Billy D. Williams, you know? That's what I thought. Watching it, it's kind of struck me as an adult, uh, recognizing that, that, that the animated series takes its inspiration from those movies. It, did, did anyone else kind of grasp onto that, or was I was I in, out in La La Land? Uh, you know, you are <laughs> not out in La La Land for episode where we covered Pretty Poison, where Poison Ivy gets introduced and she's dating Harvey Dent. I did recognize that Harvey Dent's face was the most distinctly animated of everybody else's face. Like, the lines, he has a long face, he's kind of unconventionally handsome, he's a little ethnically ambiguous, too. Yes. Which Yeah, right? Yes. When I look at him, I'm like, he could be white? But maybe <laughs> but he he's could like, also not be, right? He could yeah. also be. Yeah, I caught that. So I think you're on to something. That is my headcanon, too, for the production. I, I think that they were channeling Billy D. Williams for that. Yeah. Well, and this would have come before Batman Forever, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one was released in the fall of 92. Yeah. So so they weren't... So they were taking their cues, I think, from... You know, probably because my understanding is if Tim Burton had come back for a third movie, I think he was going to eventually explore Two-Face. Um, and that probably would have brought Billy D. Williams back to do it. Um, which, can you imagine if Lando Calrissian had played Two-Face? Like, come on. <laughs> it would have been great. It would have been great. I would have yeah. eaten that up. No offense to Tommy Lee Jones, but like, that's the world I wish we kind of lived in. Uh, (laughs) Same. I I wish, I wish. Yes, and to what you said, an interesting Riddler trophy, there is a Batman 89 comic book series that picks up. Oh yeah, that came out pretty recently, right? Yeah, it came out pretty recently. It follows the continuity of Batman Returns, so you have the Billy Williams version of Two-Face, you have Catwoman coming back, the Michelle Pfeiffer version. You have Barbara Gordon working for the police for it. It's a very interesting. Uh, oh my gosh. I kind of want to go check that out. I think the thing is Tim Burton brought so much depth and pathos and understanding to the villains in the first two movies that I think we would have gotten a very different Two-Face had he handled it versus, you know, Joel Schumacher kind of reverting more back to the Adam West camp. And I think that's why this is such a good adaptation because it really gets into what I think that movie could have looked like. Well, let's let's just, we've already been talking about it. Let's just jump right into talking about the episode then. I'm going to quickly set the stage for this two-parter on Two-Face and then we'll just go straight into the plot and the moments that we saw. We have Two-Face Part 1 coming at us. It was released on September 25th, 1992, directed by Kevin Altieri, story written by Alan Burnett, and it was also written by Randy Rogel. And the plot of this episode, if we haven't made it explicitly clear by now, that it depicts the transformation of District Attorney Harvey Dent into the titular villain Two-Face. 
this story is concluded in the next episode that we're going to be talking about, Two-Face Part 2. And I'm going to jump in quickly with two Riddler trophies here, a couple little Easter eggs hidden in just the placement of this episode. Um, this is, of course, the first two-parter that happens in Batman the Animated Series covering Two-Face. And it's the first episode in double digits because this is the 10th episode of Batman the Animated Series that we're covering. So we're going to just jump right into the episode where we're setting the scene of Batman taking down what was honestly almost a diehard moment with the villains intercepting a military shipment and breaking out the bazooka to fire down on unsuspecting Jim Gordon and District Attorney Harvey Dent. And Batman comes in and kind of, unbeknownst to them, they're all kind of standing around like nothing's going on, not realizing that Batman literally just saved them from the explosion of a bazooka. But Charlie, I want you to talk about, uh, there's a little bit of a difference in how at least the the outright police reaction to Batman coming in and doing his thing is. Can you talk about that a little bit? This is the first time that we see Gordon, and it's a... Uh... It, it's a tip of the hat to what their relationship will ultimately become, but this is the first time that Gordon sees Batman's silhouette on the rooftop after Batman averts a disaster, and he he smiles a little bit. He smiles, and he, at this point, I believe that the creative team was just building the foundation for Gordon seeing Batman as his greatest ally, because in the DC animated universe, as we call it for this show, connecting Superman and JLU, Batman and Gordon become best friends in a way. And we're seeing that it feels a little like sentimental to say this, but there is a bit of a love story and a falling out between them that we'll see play out over the course of the entire series. So I like that little seed being planted here. Yeah, for sure. I loved his line. Looks like they've got a, a case of a bad infestation, just kind of knowing what's going on because no one else seemed to understand right away. And Gordon was like, oh, yeah, I see what's happening here. But we're going to fast forward straight into kind of the main point of this raid, and, and that's to show that they're really painting this other side of Harvey Dent and his anger. So they're, they're hauling the criminals out in cuffs and one of the lackeys starts talking shit and kicks mud all over Harvey Dent's suit and he I mean like the screen literally turns red like this guy literally switches and sees red and I know that you want to talk about that Charlie because you think that's just such a good setup moment yeah yeah I think that it was very clever on the part of the animation team to whenever Harvey's mood changes the background will either turn red or it'll just turn pitch black because what we're doing we're entering Harvey's mindset because he is the hero of the story which is what Batman the animated series did so well every episode the villain is the protagonist in their own way and Batman is the secondary character reacting to a problem you'll see that there's very few episodes of these series where Batman is starting the story it's always Batman reacting to what a villain is going through but in this case he's reacting to what one of his best friends is going through so by getting into harvey's mind more than we've gotten into any of the other criminals minds we are harboring really warm feelings and empathy for this guy in a way that bruce is in a way that i found was very nuanced and quite frankly just super lovely joe what did you think i think the episode does a really good job of putting us into an empathetic position for Harvey, which is, I think, what 
you ultimately want to feel, not just because of you want a three-dimensional character, but because you want to understand why Batman wants to help this guy, you know? If, if he was just bad for bad's sake and, and we didn't really understand, you know, the fall and, and some of the responsibility that Batman, uh, that Bruce Wayne feels for, for having let him fall. So we get that moment of kind of setup and we're moving on into sort of the celebration. They're at this campaign party to raise funds for the DA race. It's getting pretty clear that he's the real front runner, favorite, all of that stuff. It yeah. reminded me a lot of the campaign DA stuff from the 1989 movie too. Just kind of the look and style of that whole scene. The mise-en-scene of that scene was very much akin to uh, that sequence in, in that first movie. And that's kind of when I first went like, oh, maybe this is supposed to be like the extension of Billy D. Williams, you know? No, I love that. That's a great point. I was about to make fun of the fact that the show is still rooted in the early 90s and the fact that his fiance started crying tears of joy when he said that he was going to finally marry her was just like, <laughs> okay, we're in this moment in time. <laughs> but, I, you know, as you go through kind of the next steps of it and we're going to get into kind of like the, the fallout of another angry outburst and stuff like that, you kind of realize that maybe the reason why he's not pulling the trigger is because he knows he has this side of him that he's trying to protect someone he loves from. But then we can kind of move on into the next steps of he gets this phone call, the criminals got out, like he obviously knows that the judge is on the take. And he has just like another total like ballistic freak out. He pushes his aide over, this huge ice statue comes down. And it's very clear that after Bruce and Grace snap him out of it, that like he has no idea where he is. He doesn't know what just happened. Like this is very clearly, and this is something that I guess this is a, another Riddler trophy that we're going to uncover right here. Something that is used for the original conception of Two-Face back in the comics. The One of the original motivations for the creation of Two-Face was this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sort of dichotomy between the two personalities that are fighting each other in this case it's harvey dent and big bad harv that was a very amusing thing to me in the episode <laughs> uh, because because before they ever said it, i watched it with the subtitles on i don't know if you watched it with the subtitles on i watched it with the subtitles on and it said big bad harv before they even introduced the idea of big bad harv and i was like i had forgotten that that was what it was so my introduction was like like seeing it on the subtitles it was it, it reads very silly but it works you it, know it reads it reads very silly it also reads like a reddit handle like oh like harvey's definitely trolling people on reddit <laughs> as big bad harv and just saying all of the egregious shit he can't say in public i also want to say like this next this next little bit here that steve i think you're about to touch on like, for an animated kids show in the 1990s, I think it does a really good job of normalizing therapy, which I was very surprised about. <laughs> that is something I wanted to touch on because they they do... It's funny, I, I've seen this meme before that's, like, someone in therapy being, like, relying on my friends makes me feel weak. And, the, and then the therapist is like, you know who else relied on his friends? And then the, the guy starts crying and he's like, Aragorn, son of Arathord. It slides tissue box, Aragorn, son of Arathord. So now I'm just going to put Batman in that place. Be like, yeah, ba <laughs> Batman thinks therapy is cool, kids. So you remember that. If you ever yeah. think that therapy isn't cool, fucking Batman thinks therapy is cool. And, you know, I've never, I always hear those people who are like, oh, you know, we need to normalize therapy, blah, 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 blah. I feel like my parents did a pretty good job of making me pretty open to just about everything. But like, I've never thought therapy was like anything to be ashamed of or upset about. 
And I do wonder if maybe, like, this show inceptioned me to that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. Your old Joe was learning that therapy was okay because Batman said so. <laughs> uh, only because Batman said so. I want to I wanna point something out in this scene. I really, I love how Nora, the therapist in this scene, just moves Harvey into the space of letting Big Bad Harv, there goes that name again, Big Bad Harv come out again. Because if we really were to look at what Harvey would probably be diagnosed with, he definitely has OCD because of the coin toss, like severe, severe OCD. And he also has DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, which is what you have when you have multiple personalities. So as a like psychology nerd, I looked up what they would help Harvey with in treatment. They would put him on antipsychotic and anxiety meds. They would also have to go in and give him extensive therapy so that he can accept the other personality that he's living with in his head then I dug deeper and I found out that there was actually a Batman graphic novel that addresses this. It's called Arkham Asylum. It's this graphic novel. And inside of it, Harvey Dent is kind of run through his paces psychologically. They get him off of his coin and they give him a deck of tarot cards as his way oh, wow. of figuring out what decisions to make but harvey because he has severe ocd and definitely a lot of underlying anxiety he can't make any decisions because there's so many tarot cards to pick from so many tarot cards to pick from and batman finds him underneath the table and he's pissed himself because he couldn't make a decision on whether or not to go to the bathroom because there were so many options with the tarot card deck which I found to be so interesting and so clever and to show how crippling this coin is to him as a crutch. That's that's super fascinating. And like you, you think about this episode, it's, it's kind of a big idea for a kids show that like a politician would be so upset and ashamed about this and, and wanting to hide it so that it doesn't prevent him from getting elected to public office like that that's kind of a big idea for a kid to grasp but when you think when the way charlie just laid all that out the types of drugs they were on the different types of neuroses like yeah i can totally understand why someone wouldn't want a politician with all those things going on being elected in office Mm -hmm. you know we're struggling enough with former president presidents who are like megalomaniacs you know so like yeah (laughs) Uh, add in multiple personalities and also, you know, OCD and all that other stuff. Like, who knows what we would have gotten, right? But yeah, no, again, just like really kind of heavy stuff for, you know, what's what's ultimately like a quote unquote kid show. But yeah, no, I think, again, all of this is just like, it's just, it goes into Harvey Dent being one of the more fascinating Batman characters. 
totally agree with that. And I want to stick on this psychiatrist session for for just another moment to talk specifically about kind of the the shades of Two Face that we get there. I think the the animation, Charlie, you said, and the facial expressions are really cooking in this episode. I think in this scene right here, I was watching this for the first time, kind of later at night, and so that lightning flash with the preview of what his face was going to become kind mm-hmm. of made me go like, "Oh, holy shit, that was really mm-hmm. awesome!" Like mm-hmm. that, and I think that was the first moment in the watching the series that like actually surprised me like caught me off guard and was like kind of caught me off like knocked me off balance a little bit in a way to like it was the first time I felt uneasy watching a villain kind of come out of his shell which we haven't experienced yet I think we've gotten good villains we've gotten funny villains we've gotten straight up bad villains that we don't understand why they exist this one was like okay this guy is scary and the even the psychiatrist was freaked out by what was going on and but i think you have a point there with the um, i mean the two options that she lays out for him kind of coming off of the scene is you either have to go commit yourself which again early 90s i don't think there were many options other than go commit yourself or like go i guess we could try going really heavy on the therapy if you are really invested in keeping this a secret and keeping your career together cuz yeah if you're if it gets announced that you're going into a psych ward <laughs> you're not going to get trusted to be the district attorney of one of the most crime ridden cities in the entire country yep. But let's move on because District Attorney Harvey Dent is happening. My guy's getting elected. It's a landslide. He's like, I'm proposing tonight or we're setting a date for our wedding tonight, which again is so fucking weird. But I I guess that's just gender roles in 92. And he he gets a a call on the phone. And we haven't talked about Thorne yet. And I know that, Charlie, you kind of were a little meh on the use of Thorne here. I don't have a ton of context for who he is in the bar larger batman universe so the only option i could come up with was like would it have been better if you threw carmine in here because he's a more well-known gangster in the in the or like falcone or something like that someone Mm -hmm. like that or you you mentioned throwing the joker into it which we've already established that uh, joe thinks that that version of the dark knight two Face is shit so i'm kidding i'm kidding Okay, so a couple things. All right, first, I find the gangsters in the Batman world to be a little interchangeable and kind of boring. Thank um, you. So, Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I thought the Thorn part of this was the weakest part of this. Uh, the one thing that I do think the Dark Knight gets right is tying Joker into uh, Two-Face's origin story. Because here's the thing. All, all the Batman villains have really, at least the over-the-top ones, have really cool kind of hooks to them, right? And Joker is obviously this agent of chaos, right? This uncontrollable agent of chaos. And Harvey is someone who believes in chance and luck. And, and honestly, like that whole kind of outlook, I could really get kind of get behind and empathize with, <laughs> you know, cause I feel like every time I make a movie, it's like, you might as well flip a coin is whether or not it's going to be a good experience or not. <laughs> Um, there's really there's really no rhyme or reason as to why anything works or doesn't work in this world. And, you know, I, I, I love the whole coin flipping thing. I think it's great. Like, But I might be jumping ahead in the second episode, which, take a step back. I do think the way Joker pushed uh, Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight into becoming Two-Face is better than this instance where it's just interchangeable gangster. But... 
it's the second half of this two-parter where I think Two-Face succeeds more so than it does in The Dark Knight. And, and my Because my one big issue with The Dark Knight, and it's always been my, my complaint ever since I first saw it, is they did a great job with the Joker, and I felt like they completely undercut face because I just felt like they had to rush it. In my mm. perfect headcanon, the third Christopher Nolan Batman movie should have been Batman versus Two-Face. Uh, it should not have just been like truncated into the second half of the third act of not even the third act, the second half of the climax <laughs> mm. of, of, a, of the movie. You know, I just felt like they didn't do justice to a character. They literally spent two hours getting us to invest in the tragedy. of, And I think this two parter does a better job of getting that idea across. I agree with you. Actually, we'll get into this a little bit more as we start covering the second episode, but the whole fact that there's a six-month time jump and that Batman is clearly haunted by the fact that he couldn't save his friend and all that stuff, I think it does set up a lot more emotional stakes that's going into kind of the fall and the, I guess, capture of Two-Face moving forward. So let's kind of... Let's keep cruising through this one and get to the actual creation of Two-Face and and then we get to jump into kind of how that all blooms into that next thing in that second episode. So after it's clear that Harvey's going to win and take the district attorney office in a landslide, he gets a call from Thorne or we could just use interchangeable generic gangster if we want to as well and he said that he's actually got his hands on his file that says that he has at the time they were calling it multiple personalities disorder i think they've since changed the vernacular to be did but yeah so harvey um is taken to see thorn in a car i think there's some cool parallels that in this moment that the second episode comes back to later with one of a couple moments that we'll touch on later and he's basically a willing captive of the gangsters as that he figure out what they want and they want a favor from the district attorney obviously and batman shows up to help him out big fight ensues but before the big fight ensues the fact that thorn is tormenting him so much brings out big bad harv to play and we kind of get a moment to see just how strong Harvey Dent, a.k.a. Big Bad Harv, is. Charlie, I know you wanted to talk about this because he literally throws Thorn like a fucking ragdoll across the room. He, he literally, he threw Thorn so effortlessly. And at that point, I kind of gave a head tilt. Like, really, Big Bad Harv? Really? I think, and this is one of my big issues with this two-parter, is I love how Batman jumps in because he's trying to save his friend rather than he's trying to stop a villain i thought that that was a great novelty for not only the bat mythos but also the series to show how invested batman is but the trade-off of having harvey dent be so strong and batman just getting knocked out so easily was kind of what I don't get, unless the animators were pulling on a really harmful stereotype that people have crazy person strength and that Harv was just pulling from this well of just whatever it is that he's struggling with to throw <laughs> goons like ragdolls. It just, it really bumped me and it, it made me roll my eyes so hard. You know, it's funny. We've been having uh, this discussion on a project I'm working on where we have this kind of like, frail old woman who 
like gets this like burst of strength and i really do believe in the whole adrenaline can can give you excessive strength you know i mean anyone who's ever tried you know fight with their old man knows that they get like crazy dad strength from somewhere you know like <laughs> mm-hmm. right so so i'm i'm not i i you know and also it's a cartoon but, right, but right, right. Uh, yeah he uh, big bad Harv fucked up all the generic mobsters so yeah that was that was pretty crazy i i took note of that too but i i think i'm still in the corner of like when someone is you know when someone snaps they really do find amazing feats of strength i'd also like to point out that the way that harvey dent is animated he looks like he's built like an inside linebacker yeah. i'm pretty sure he's taller and wider than bruce wayne like he's not a small guy like he's no offense to to aaron eckert but he's no aaron eckert <laughs> like that yeah. he's he's stacked so if you add that on top of not crazy person strength blacked out rage strength then maybe we have a we we're also like the 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 this episode i i'm gonna reference chekhov's coins in the next episode but this one kind of has chekhov's fist a couple times where like he rears back to punch and he gets stopped a couple times i think you need those moments of showing how strong he is so then when he gives batman a rib shot you understand why it is affecting him for the rest of the episode. I think there's also a little bit of that that they were trying to do. So you don't just go, wait, okay, so he can one punch Batman and like basically like take out three of his ribs. I want to add a point. I want to be generous and say that in my headcanon, Batman is thrown off his game because of how invested he is in the friendship with Harvey. I think that this isn't a case where Batman had 24 hours of prep time and knew exactly what he was dealing with this is batman in an emergency with a friend this is kind of akin to having an intervention with a friend and having no prep about how you're going to frame the conversation i think that that's why bruce was a little bit not as polished as we're used to seeing him in this fight and in the next part of this two-parter that's that's me cutting him slack, and that's also how I can wrap my head around Batman not being as ferocious of a fighter as we're used to. Moving through the fight, which honestly, like, I want to give the animation team more credit here. Like, this fight was a sort of, like, chaotic that I really enjoyed. It really felt like lots of bodies were flying around the room, and Batman was trying to stop Harvey, but also help Harvey, and all of that stuff, and it all kind of devolves into Thor running off with the the file of Harvey's stuff and Harvey running off after him. And then the goon fires after him with the Tommy gun, hits an electrical box very conveniently placed in the middle of a bunch of chemical vats, big explosion. And this was like, oh man, I felt so bad for Batman. I mean, I guess I felt bad for Harvey too, but that moment where he flips Harvey over and he sees his face and he just goes, oh no. Like just that moment of like, oh man, this is like, there's no like, it's just straight remorse. Like this is a bad thing. And the bad thing is that the chemicals basically blasted half of his body away. He's now blue and disfigured and awakens and demands a mirror. Although I got to say, if you're a doctor (laughs) performing like reconstructive surgeries and you're a nurse working in an emergency room, maybe have a little bit more decorum than drop it. Like 
Is it that bad <laughs> that you have to drop the tray of all the stuff on the ground and the doctor be like, huh? like, that's, I mean, I understand that you're supposed to set up the moment of him being like, I'm a monster or whatever, but like, come on, docs, let's, let's like get it together a little bit. But that scene was also one of the scenes that bumped me too, because it was a little similar to the Joker in 89. Agreed. With, with his Agreed. Um, even down to like give me the mirror and like that whole thing it was um let's let's we'll be generous and, and use a george lucas ism and say that they rhymed those moments rhymed i thought you were going to use a different george lucas ism which was they hated it but you actually <laughs> joe you just found a riddler trophy right there that moment in 89 is actually referenced as a motivation for that scene so they they right, did take go. they did rhyme they uh, did rhyme indeed on purpose homage yes uh, indeed well and honestly it's kind of smart because if you're trying to endear a bunch of kids who are wearing out the vhs tape of their batman 89 and know it by heart um, in a weird way you're tapping into their subconscious of something they already like uh, so so and and are already familiar with and, and can fill in some holes with so it's actually pretty clever it is that and telling them that therapy is cool mm-hmm. therapy is cool so to close out the episode grace comes in sees her fiance with his disfigured face she passes out that one a little bit more understanding. That's a very shocking moment for someone that you love who's gone through a traumatic thing. And Harvey takes that to heart and goes goodbye. And he's out into the night. And that is how the episode concludes to be continued in part two. So before we move on to our battering ratings and our part two of this episode, are there any final thoughts about Two-Face part one that we want to cover that we haven't yet? A very quick nod I want to give is Kevin Connery's performance in this episode. I don't know if you realize, before Bruce changed into the Batman suit, as Harvey was running off to have that meeting with Thorne, he slips into his Batman voice as Bruce and says, are you in trouble? And I thought that that was such a nice, subtle touch that the animators probably didn't expect, but Conroy probably slipped in. Then later, when Batman is in the whole tussle, he slips into his Bruce voice when he says, Harvey, no. You know, I think just showing how personal, (laughs) it really got my heart. That line reading got my fucking heart. (laughs) Just what a great performance. I miss Conroy so damn much. Just him slipping in and out of his Batman and Bruce voice shows how different this conflict is. It was a really great use of uh, just that dichotomy. I also want to give an, another voice nod to Richard Mole, who is the voice of Harvey Dent and oh, also yeah. did the voice of, of Big Bad Harv. And like, he's all the voices of Two-Face. And so oh, I think those yeah. those switches and were really, really brilliant. His his Big Bad Harv, Two-Face voice, I, I love. I think it's so powerful. Agree. The character work on Two-Face is just absolutely top-notch. So let, let's give our, our battering ratings for Two-Face Part 1. Now, Joe, we're going to give you the honor since you are the guest of honor. So what would you like to give your battering rating of Two-Face Part 1? And you can use halvesies if you'd like to. All right. I think I'm going to go with four out of five batterings. And, and for simply because, and, and we talked about this, like the one real flaw in the episode for me, I just think Thorne is not the most compelling uh, kind of secondary villains who's pushing this along. But aside from that, I think as far as the storytelling goes, 
it sets up the fall of Harvey Dent really, really nicely in in twenty minutes. So you know, it's it's impressive, truly. Charlie, what about you? I am all right. I was tempted to give it four out of five batterings, but then I looked at what's coming in the series, and I definitely have other Two Face episodes that I like more than this one. So I'm not going to give it a three. I'm going to give it a three and a half. And my reason is because I think it's close to being great, but a lot of the Thorn stuff really bumped me because he's a one-dimensional villain. All of everything about this episode works, but Thorn and his lackeys. And that pulled me out of the episode whenever they were plotting and scheming. Very cool. I'm going to also give this one a four out of five batterings. I agree with everything everyone said. This was my favorite episode of the series so far, so it's getting my highest rating so far. It's as simple as that. So four out of five for Two-Face Part 1, and we're going to move right along into Two-Face Part 2. Released on September 28th, 1992, again directed by Kevin Alteri, written by Randy Rogel. Reborn as Two-Face, Harvey Dent and his crime gang go on a vengeful rampage against Rupert Thorne's Empire of Sin. Meanwhile, Dent's best friend, their best friends, Bruce Wayne, tries to find a way to unlock Harvey's human side before he truly goes over the brink of madness. Now, I, I just want to quickly like go into the setup of all of this. I love the fact that they went six months later, we get a dream sequence with Bruce having the nightmare this time instead of Harvey having the nightmare about his alter ego. I just think that they do a great job of kind of like resetting up where everything is and the fact that this is something that's still like very much so bothering Batman and it's like very much so the center of his focus even a half a year later, which is a ridiculous amount of time to let a villain like Two-Face run around and cause havoc. I'm curious because I have not watched the episodes that preceded this. Did the show do a good job of establishing them as best friends? Uh, or was that kind of a loose uh, thing that they kind of just... Pretty Poison, probably, is the closest. Pretty Poison, where Bruce saw Pamela Isley, who's later revealed to be Poison Ivy, plant this big kiss on Harvey and knock him out near death. And that was the motivation for that episode, Bruce trying to save his friend. We saw Harvey Dent another time before that and on leather wings, but he didn't interact with Bruce. So I actually want to quickly talk about that because this is a, a like a Riddler trophy. I just, from my memory of that episode, he's fucking around with his coin in that scene. He and is. And on leather wings. He is. So like, does that mean that was a big bad Harv sighting in that? Fr like, I, I haven't gone back and watched it yet, but now I want to go back and watch it after watching this episode being like, he doesn't mess with that coin unless he's in his big bad Harv bag or his Two-Face bag. Mm. So like... In that moment of us beating Harvey Dent for the first time, is he actually, it, may, maybe the writers didn't know and they accidentally did that, not knowing that they were going to write it like this, but I feel like maybe that was a little Easter egg that they were giving us. It might have also been just, you know, I, I have some friends who are, are doing what you guys are doing with Batman, they did with X-Men. Uh, their show is called Cyclops is Waiting for Me. But, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you both get the reference. One of the things that they were finding when they were doing their research on the animation versus the writing is a lot of times the animators wouldn't necessarily get like all the cues from the writing. And so like they might have just been like, you know, they might have seen in the script like Harvey Dent Two-Face and they're like, oh, well, Two-Face should have a coin. And then by the time the animation comes back, it's like, well, there's no money to change it. So... Uh, <laughs> 
continuity is out the window, you know? At 30 years later, us us adults now are picking apart their, their you know, 20 episode animated run on a low budget show. So, you know. They they obviously weren't anticipating the phenomenon of podcasts coming 30 <laughs> no, years no, later. I don't think so. <laughs> <that>. Definitely <laughs> not. Well, let's let's get right into the establishment of Two-Face that we get right here at the beginning. Him and his henchmen Min and Max are sitting outside of First of all, calling your twin henchmen Min and Max is absolutely A+. plus. But we get the moment of the coin flip. Good heads, we leave them alone. Bad heads, we go in and fuck shit up. I just like a quick moment to recognize that the bad head side literally just has three scratches on it, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Like, uh, of all of the good animation, I just thought that was like, a, okay, let's put three lines on it, and that's going to show that it's the bad side. But they get the bad side, they go into this bookie horse racing betting joint that's clearly like an illegal betting ring that Thorne is running. They steal a bunch of money. They get the aforementioned Chekhov's coins, silver dollars. I got one more silver dollar. Um, and we we shoot up the place and we get out of there. And Thorne is pissed. He is absolutely pissed. And he's like $2 million, $1 million for each of his two faces. So we're, we kind of get into the, the hunt for Two-Face, and we also know that Batman is still kind of trying to figure out where Two-Face is. He woke up from that nightmare with just kind of in Charlie vibes, just with books of psychology and multiple personality disorder, now DID, kind of strewn across his bat console. And we kind of are kind of set up for the collision that's that's coming at us. Do you guys have anything to say about the, that kind of set up into part two? I have two really quick points. My first point is that when Harv breaks into one of Thorne's hideouts or one of his cover-ups for his criminal activities, there's this one shot that goes from the typical animation that just goes to a pure painting of just Two-Face's eyes moving from left to right as he scans the document that I thought was so chef's kiss. The animation team does that every once in a while. It'll just cut from the animation to a painting with a little movement, and I think that little flourish of style does so much to put Batman the Animated Series over so many things that were airing at the time, including X-Men the Animated Series, which is another goat of comic book animated series. I thought that that was such a nice stylistic touch. Also, my thing with Bruce waking up from that nightmare with all of the books, I love this version of Bruce. He's my baby. He's my bat baby. But dude, six months? You couldn't catch Two-Face in six months? I'm sorry. I don't buy it. I call shenanigans. Just it that's a that's extensive for batman that is really extensive especially he's not able to figure out the pattern that harv was hitting all of these covers for thorn's criminal activities he couldn't have busted him that i think that was a little too generous if we would have knocked it to like almost three months and alfred is pointing out hey, you're kind of taking a little while longer than usual to find this guy, and we would have spoken about it. I think that would have added a nice layer to how hard this is for Bruce, but for it to just be boom six months later, that that kind of made me raise a brow. I actually agree with Charlie about that. I So, truth be told, I must have missed the six months later, uh, Chiron, because I, 
I did not know that six months had gone by. <laughs> uh, so to me, it felt perfectly reasonable. About it. <laughs> you know what? I am making up the six months later from the synopsis of the episode. So it's not shown to us. It's basically like you'd have to have read what oh, the well, like so listed okay, synopsis right, so of the episode so you chart. didn't technically miss anything okay, yeah yeah so to me it felt like some time had gone by i didn't i agree six months feels a little just dinner, enough yeah so i guess maybe that's for me that's why i didn't i didn't bump on that uh, but that makes me feel a little bit better that my viewing habits haven't completely eroded and i'm missing key bits of information but i think charlie's right like if you would actually put a little and there was that scene with Alfred that they could have done it in, like to put just a little bit more sauce on there. I think I think that would have been, I think that would have worked really well. So, but I just want to touch on before we, because you kind of briefly mentioned them. I love that Two Faces henchmen are twins. I just think that's so funny. Oh, I didn't even think about <laughs> um, that. That is really that, obsessed that, with that yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But. You know, it's just two faced twins. Anyway, uh, it's it's good stuff. It's good, good, good little little. Uh, I I'm a sucker for a good pun, so you know, Two Face being obsessed with twos and and literally shaping his entire criminal syndicate around that is is very amusing to me. Uh, yeah. What what actually, and this kind of brings us into the next point of the episode. What a lucky coincidence that every single one of Rupert Thorne's fronts and laundering places that he hits have some sort of reference to a two in them. <laughs> so, so that just is one of lucky coincidence for our guy Two Face, because Batman's like they all have two references. Oh, and they're also belonging to Thorn. So there we go. We finally figured it out six months later. Thorn has so many businesses. That's the only way that makes sense, right? Uh, he's got so many businesses, and these are just a couple of them. But just a, uh, just enough of a percentage. Well, then we find that's actually not true you know, because you know, Bat- you, know, you know what the percentage is, Steve. What's that? Two percent of his businesses. <laughs> exactly two percent of his businesses. Well, Batman goes and deduces. Well, he's actually taken out all of the you know, businesses. You know so of, uh, you know what type of milk Harvey Dent drinks? Half and oh, half. Two percent. Half and half. Oh. Yeah. Hey, oh, oh hey, half and half. Ruler trophy for you that I just made up. Uh, I love that. <laughs> That's so good. So good. I love how we're milking this. Well, Batman. milks this little trail see what i did there to figure out where two-face is going next and two-faces but he figures out that two-faces is going to try and enact revenge on thorn in the same way that thorn was blackmailing him in the first episode by going and stealing his files that list out all of his money laundering and all of his illicit illegal activities i guess we should rewind into this first because we haven't talked about grace at all in all of this and maybe because i don't know how we feel about all of this but after the the bounty gets put on two face's head candace the the lady lackey of of thorn goes to grace because candace had some amazing music cues they were they were quite over the top and i I was i was gonna say she had some amazing something else but yes music cues for (laughs) sure and yeah the the animators were definitely showing their cards about how they felt about candace throughout these episodes most definitely but but she Uh kind of tricks grace into thinking that she's an undercover cop and gives her this this beacon we're back at the office and batman has figured out where two-face is coming so he comes in and tries to stop him but he also gets distracted by the fact that min and max come in to try and help stop batman from getting two-face captured 
captured and Two-Face lands one of these punches on him finally and basically like as like I said I'm assuming that he's got a couple of broken ribs here there's no way that you take a punch and have it knock you out and not like have it affect you for the rest of the episode and not have a few broken bones that you're dealing with for the rest of the time but Two-Face gets away and uh, Two-Face is feeling like he wants the company of his lady once again. He sees a billboard for wedding bells and wedding dresses, and he thinks of Grace, and he gives Grace a call, and uh, in a very similar parallel to when Thorn called him up and had the car sent and got him taken away to where Thorn was, he sends the car, gets Grace picked up, but wow. Grace also grabs this beacon, and we're on for that collision course of all of our bad guys once again. Yeah. I have a question though about the coin flipping. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to Grace, I'm trying to remember. He flips the coin to decide whether or not he wants to see her or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like like the head that it landed on confused me logically. Uh, like it didn't. I don't know. Did, did that bump anybody? You talking uh, about the first time when he decides not to see her? Yes. Yeah. And because it comes up, it comes up clean, right? Right. And so I guess he's thinking that the good decision is to let her be because he's a monster now. I guess that makes sense, right? Okay, yes and to that. I would say that more than the right decision, maybe the clean side represents order and the second side represents chaos. So if he's thinking as Harv, he knows that he's too far gone to really give her the kind of life that she deserves. So that was a bit of him deciding, am I going to think like Harv or am I going to think like Two-Faced? Am I going to be chaotic or am I going to be all about justice and order? So yeah, that that's my headcanon for that. It might be, that might be the heaviest heads or tails coin flip of all time. coin flipping the coin flipping i love it no that's a good note i like it it's wonderful so speaking of of harvey thinking that he's too far gone for grace we do have i like to call it a beautiful moment where he where she convinces him that he she loves him no matter what but at the same time she also thinks that she's calling the cops on him because i guess she just wanted to help him but there is this like very beautiful like I do think it's genuine that she like doesn't care what he looks like that she wants to pull the cloth off of his face that she still loves him no matter what and I think it is nice that Harvey gets this after having Poison Ivy Pam be like a very nefarious target of his affection so it is nice that they seem to have gotten him someone that genuinely seems to love Harvey Dent for everything that he is and even though this terrible thing has happened to him she can still find that space for him best intentions aside it's thorn and candace and all of the bad guys that show up and go haha tricked you fooled you that's a little Spaceballs reference and so we have a- another fight that ensues there's more guns there's falling chandeliers there's grace taking her revenge on candace and absolutely <laughs> whacking the shit out of her to take her out And Two-Face basically has the drop on everybody because, again, we're established that he has super Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde villain strength. And he's about to get into his coin flipping to figure out what to do with Thorn and check off silver dollars. 
Batman grabs the box of silver dollars next to him and kind of a last resort moment and with his broken rib strength throws the coins into the air causes his bad coin to get lost in the shuffle of all of this and this basically causes a psychotic meltdown from Harvey Thorne is arrested Harvey is taken away and Grace embraces him one last time before Batman says to Jim Gordon that where there is love there is hope and we have the conclusion of our part two of our two-part Two-Face episode. Uh, guys, do you want to talk about a little bit about how sort of the, the conclusion of, of this Two-Face two-parter hit y'all? Yeah, I think Batman Forever paid homage to this with how the Tommy Lee Jones version of Two-Face was defeated with Bruce throwing coins, but also that movie, the way it ended Two-Face's life in that movie bumped me because... Did Val Kilmer, Batman, murder Two-Face by throwing all those coins? And because he fell well, no, to his no, death. No, 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 I don't think so. He threw the coins and then, you know, Bat- and then Two-Face kind of murdered himself, right? Yeah. Um, Not no. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, just like. I think also in continuity, that Batman is also probably one of the more murdery Batmans. I mean, you think about. Batman Returns when he hands the guy the bomb, knowing he's gonna blow up. I know, love <laughs> he doesn't that outrightly scene. kill people, but he definitely puts people in situations where they're going to die. Mm-hmm. We've had that conversation a couple times already in this series, where we've had moments of being like, "Those guys are dead. Those guys are either dead or like absolutely never moving from the neck down ever again." So you know what, Batman, yes. it comes with the territory. I think it was absolutely an homage, um, and I had forgotten that this inspired that you know Mm -hmm. uh because i feel like they all just merged into like one moment in my memory so no it's 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 such a clever way to beat two-face um it's so smart it's so gratifying i was a little confused but i guess it's the broken ribs as to why batman struggles picking up a box of coins so much (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah other than that i was like that that was a really cool way to Again, just the, the the episode does a really good job of showing what makes Two Face unique, you know, with his kind of let's rob this place because the coin said so, let's not take this jewelry because the coin says not to. It just sets him up as such a unique villain. I love his existential look on life where everything's just random and <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, that was a beautiful monologue. That was so well written. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, it's again, it's heady stuff. But but sorry, did that go over your head? Ah, uh, was that ooh, heady? Hey. Was, it, was it too heady? Too heady? Anyway, uh, too Joe, face, Joe, too you fit in perfectly with us because we love puns too. That was good. <laughs> We're that was really good. Um, yeah, no. So I just thought it was. I thought it was really fun to see something that complex and something that existential written into a kid's cartoon. Uh, so, you know, it was that moment alone, I thought, made the, the episode kind of stand even above the previous one a little bit. So there's a lot of really good stuff. Plus, also, again, like we said, uh, the voice actor's performance is Two-Face is just great. and The look and the design is, is excellent. A really defining kind of creation of a new villain out of, out of just the, the context of this two-parter. 
I think the only thing I want to add before we move on to our final battering ratings for part two, one is my final Riddler trophy is that the, the creators are credited with saying that these episodes are the ones that they feel like kind of turned a corner and making Batman the animated series one that could appeal to adults just as much as it appeals to kids. And I think that was very apparent through a lot of the stuff that we said here today. Um, and finally, I just want to, something that I noticed as like a recurring theme throughout this, and maybe that's just me making it up. I feel like they only showed profiles of the Harvey side rather than the Two-Face side, the blue side. And maybe I'm wrong in thinking that, but I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm looking at my page of notes and there's a photo on it of that moment where Grace holds Harvey's head up to hers there at the end. And it's just his human side, not his human side face, because they're both technically human sides, but it's his not chemically altered side face. And you have a couple of those moments where I think the show is, and then this is my headcanon, of course, trying to make a point of being like, yes, this is a bad person where bad things have happened to him and there is a monster there, but there's also still this human that's fighting and clawing his way out at different moments. And I think that little visual cue of him turning to the side and you only getting his human profile was, or I keep saying human profile, like he turned into an alien, but I think you understand what I mean, was just a, a really cool visual cue that we saw a couple of times throughout this two-parter. So let's take it home, everybody. Let's give Two-Face Part 2 our battering ratings, and let's go ahead and move on. So since I, I went last, I'm going to be an only child and go first this time. Um, And I'm going to, like Joe said a little bit earlier, I think this is a little bit elevated over the first episode, so I'm, I'm not quite at that five level yet. I think that's got to be Save for a very special occasion, but I am going to give this one four and a half batterings. Charlie, what about you? I'm going to be stubborn as the oldest child, and I am going to say three and a half. It's great. I'm so tempted to give it four, but I just, I know what else is coming, and there's so much great Harvey stuff in the future. So much great Harvey stuff. I did not look ahead and I don't remember what's coming. So uh, based on the strength of this alone, I think I'm also with Steve. I'm going to say four and a half batarangs. You know, it's just, it's, it's a great character introduction. It's a really satisfying kind of conclusion to Batman catching Two-Face. It's what I would have liked to see in its own movie during the Dark Knight, but we didn't get that. But I guess I will always have the Batman the Animated Series Two-Face Part 1 and Part 2. We'll always have Part 1 and Part 2, and we'll always have this podcast where we got to acknowledge that. Joe, thank you so much for joining us as the first guest to ever appear on Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff. Would you just take a moment to tell all of the dozens of our listeners where they can find you, where on the internet your stuff lives, any projects that you have going on that you want to plug that are maybe coming out in 2024. Uh, tell, tell us about where we can find your stuff and we'll make sure we put it in the show notes too. Yeah, I've uh, so you can find me on the interwebs on Twitter because I refuse to call it by its other name. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Russo Tweets uh, and you can find me on Instagram at Joe Russo Graham. Uh, things coming up, just had a movie that came out in uh, the theater uh, in October 2023 called Soulmates. That will be on VOD by the time this episode drops. Uh, so check it out. It's kind of a cool online dating meets Saw horror movie. And then later this year, uh, should have a Haunted House project coming out. I'm still waiting on all the, the details on that. It's currently been retitled The Inheritance. I don't know if that's the final title, but... 
keep an eye out for that too anything else you want to say about joe before he gets out of here uh, well joe's movie is amazing i read the script i've seen different versions of it as it's evolved and bloomed so i'm i couldn't be more excited for you man well deserved and i can't Thanks, wait for Charlie. people to see it yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. I am, uh, Charlie and I have talked about this many times. I am a absolute wimp when it comes to horror films, but I will put on my brave boy pants and I will watch your horror movie. I will do that. And maybe we'll come back and talk about it on the podcast on a later date. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff. I want to thank Joe one more time for coming out and joining us. We covered Two-Face part one and part two. And next time we're going to be coming back with the Batman animated series covering the episodes. It's never too late. And I've got Batman in my basement. For myself, Steve Selnick, and my good friend, Charlie Peppers, we'll see you on the next one.